Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 5, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 5. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, as a continuation from our study from last week in chapter 4, we have to understand what's happening here. Remember, we see the fallen state of Israel when we see the the fallen priests, remember Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, they're dead now. They're all dead. And we see the rise of the prophet Samuel. But at the same time, we remember and see how the Lord responded to the prayer of Mama Hannah. You see, whenever we look at the life of Samuel, we can never forget the beautiful, beautiful witness of his mom, Hannah. And with the rise and the fall that we see, we, you know, we see the, the fall of the priesthood in Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, but then we also see the rise of Samuel. But at the same time, we also know why it happened. Because where do we see the right formula? You see, when Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, when they make their choice and the Lord responds and now they're dead, Understand, you know, what we see is beautiful in Mama Hannah and Samuel, you see, because the formula is right, you see. And also remember, we have seen the formula right in Israel, in Eli, in Hophni, in Phinehas. They were all on the receiving end of God's mercy, you see. And they were on the receiving end of God's beautiful promises. And that's a good thing. It's a very beautiful thing. But what happened? What happened? Israel has lost in warfare. Eli is dead. Hophni is dead. Phinehas is dead. What happened? You see? The effectuation of promise no longer applies. Why? Because it's a result of their own choices, you see? And yet, effectuation of promise does remain for Mama Hannah and Samuel, also as a result of their own choices. And it's their choice to honor the Lord, you see? Eli, he started well, but he finished terribly. Look at Hannah. She started well, and she finished beautifully, you see? And you say, wait a second, this is the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. I believe in the finished work of the cross. And that's a lot of Christians do say that. Oh yeah, this is the Old Testament. But I believe in the finished work of the cross. And it's very true that the work of the cross is finished. But what about the continued work of the Lord in you and in me? What about that continued work? as you and me move on to perfection, you see? And as in the Old Testament, for us, there are also parameters for effectuation. And what is it? Obedience to the word of the Lord. You see, this is something that Brother James teaches us. Remember our study in the book of James? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to those studies to the book of James. This is something that the saints in Galatia, you know, they were leaning on the promises of Christ. The saints in the the Galatian church, they were leaning on the promises of Christ. But what does the Holy Spirit say to Paul when the Holy Spirit says, hey, Paul, write them a letter. And inspired of the Spirit, what does brother Paul tell them? 
I mean, you know, not to get off off our subject here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, and by looking to these letters to the churches, it's not really off subject at all, because in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, what does Paul say? Galatians 1, verse 6, what does Paul say to the saints? He says, I marvel, I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. That's what the Spirit says to Paul. Hey, Paul, write them a letter. Write them a letter because, hey, there's something going, there's something wrong in Galatia. You see? And Paul says, I'm blown away, you guys. I'm blown away that you're turning away so soon from Jesus Christ. Remember our study on Sunday? Remember the exhortation on Sunday to answer the call of God? And when you and me, when we answer the call of God, never hang up. Never, ever, ever hang up. And that's what the Galatian saints were doing, turning away from the biblical gospel. Remember, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I'm blown away. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You see, that's what the saints were doing in Galatia, turning away from the biblical gospel to a different gospel, turning away so soon from him, from the Lord. And still to the Galatians, Galatian saints, look what Paul continues to tell them. He says in Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Wow. You see, what Paul is saying here to the saints, was it all pointless? Was your suffering as a believer, was it all in vain? And yes, he does say, if indeed it was in vain. And Paul is saying, balls in your court, you guys. Ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. The saints in Galatia, Paul is telling them straight up, hey, ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Obey or disobey. Obey or disobey. And notice, it's obedient to the right gospel, the biblical gospel, not the fake one, not the unbiblical gospel, the right gospel gospel, the right spirit, the right Jesus. Remember in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul's blown away. He says, I'm blown away. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from the Lord, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Remember our studies in the Corinthian letters, how Paul's fear, Paul's phobia, and not just Paul, it's also with Peter too. It's also with James. It's also with John. When Brother John says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And this is the phobia of Paul when he says, I'm afraid for you because when the preacher guys are going to come in, you're going to put up with it. Because they come in with a different gospel, a different spirit, a different Christ. And it's one of the signs of the last days when the real Jesus warns us. He says, in the last days, there will be many Christs, many false teachers, many false prophets. You see? 
And we just studied this on Sunday. It just so happens. It just so happens. Remember the demons? They don't mind the fake at all. The demons don't care about what is fake. You see? But they do mind the real. They don't want anyone near what is real. You see? You know, the, the fake gospel, the demons don't mind it. You know, if if believers in Jesus Christ are with the uh, uh, in a fake, uh, a fake gospel, if believers in Jesus Christ are, you know, in obedience to a fake Christ, if believers in Jesus Christ are walking in a fake gospel, a fake spirit, they don't, the demons don't mind at all. In fact, they like it. That's why Satan has his, you know, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness. It's part of the aspect, one of many aspects of spiritual warfare. The demons don't mind what is fake at all, but they absolutely mind the real and they don't want you near what is real. The real Jesus, the real gospel, the real Holy Spirit. They don't want you near that at all. It's why fellowships, fellowships of saints, the remnant, biblical koinonia, and biblical ecclesia. It's why in the last days, they're going to be small fellowships. Don't it? You know, the days of the megachurch, those days are over. You say, how do you say those days are over? They're everywhere. Precisely my point. Judgment comes first to the church. When you're in a church where the formula is right, koinonia, ecclesia, straight up love feast, don't expect, you know, 100 people. Don't expect 50. Look for the tiny church where the formula is right. You see? And look what Brother Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 11, Brother Paul says straight up, he says, I'm afraid for you, speaking to the saints. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And in a sense, Paul is posing the question, was it all in vain? In the next chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, you ran well. Notice, past tense. Past tense. You ran well. This is Galatians 5, verse 7. You ran well. Past tense. And then he asked the question, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, notice what happened. The saints in Galatia, they were obeying truth and they were running well, but something happened. It's the phobia that Paul says to the saints in Corinth. The preacher guys came in. And the Christians, the saints, they submitted themselves to the wrong teachers. You see? And notice, in obeying the wrong teachers, they were no longer obeying the truth. And Paul just straight up asked them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, straight up, who hindered you? Who hindered, hindered you? In the Greek, you know, that word is anakopto. Anakopto in the Greek. You know what that is? Who beat you back to stop you. That's what Paul is asking the saints in Galatia. 
the saints in Galatia who were turning away from God to a different gospel. And Paul just asked, who hindered you? Who hindered you? Who was it? Who beat you back to stop you? It's very interesting what we see because saints were submitting themselves to teachers. You see? The saints in Galatia, they were submitting themselves to the teachers. Just like the Bible says of the pastors, you know, submit yourself to the pastor. It is a biblical truth. Yes, it is a good thing to submit to the pastor. But the Bible also says, remember, we have to account for the many, many, many. It is also written. It is also written. Because the saints in Galatia, they were in submission to their pastors and their teachers. But in their pastors and teachers, we see the wrong formula. Wrong formula. Because remember, the saints in Galatia, they were turning away so soon. They were turning away so soon from God to a different gospel. And the saints in Galatia had no idea. They thought they were abiding in truth. They thought they were in the gospel. But when the formula is right in Paul, he has eyes to see and he understands, no, 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 no. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. You see? And Paul just straight up asked him, who is it? Who hindered you? Who beat you back? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Remember in Galatians 5 verse 7, you ran well, past tense. You see, the saints were submitting to the pastors, to the teachers. Presumably a good thing, but without understanding a formula, it was the teachers that were beating them back and stopping the saints from obeying the truth. You see, wrong pastor, wrong teacher. I mean, if a pastor just you straight up says, you know, hey, everybody, I'm not going to teach you the truth. If a pastor says, hey, everybody, I'm not going to teach you the truth. I'm going to lie to you and you'll never make it to paradise. If a pastor says that, you know what? That's easy. That's easy. No one would submit to that guy. But if they're slick, if they're slick, if they're sly, if they're sinister, if they're wicked, They'll present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They'll be the nice guys, appealing to the flesh, appealing to the carnal nature. And the saints would be beaten back and stopped from obeying the truth. That's what happened in Galatia. That's what happened in Galatia. And remember, the deception. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Galatians. If you're a new listener, go back and listen to those studies. They're archived for you. The deception in Galatia, the preacher guys that came in, the pastors that allowed the preacher guys to come in, the teachers that were there in Galatia that were causing the saints to stop obeying the truth, that caused the saints, caused the saints to turn away so soon from God, to follow a different gospel. That deception in Galatia was so strong and so powerful that even Brother Peter got caught up in it. Even Peter, 
you see? But Peter yielded to Paul's warnings and Paul's teaching in whom the formula was right. You see, even Peter. So when we look at our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, a lot of times Christians, you know, we read the Old Testament and we think, oh, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. And that can be said of certain things, you know, most, most uh, specifically with uh, rules of engagement. We don't fight according to Old Covenant teachings. We fight according to the Spirit, New Covenant teachings. But a lot of times Christians like to say, well, that's Old Testament. That doesn't pertain to me. But hold the phone there. Brother Paul is the one, and Peter mentions it too. So does John. So does James. Pretty much everybody in whom the formula is right. But Paul says the things of old were written for our admonition, for our warning so that we can know. You see, we have to understand, you know, we're, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 5, but we have to understand that the same thing that happened to Eli, the same thing that happened to Hophni and Phinehas, and the defeat and the oppression of Israel, it can also happen to us. The threat upon believers, it's always out there. Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, they started well. They started well. They were on the receiving end of God's promises, the receiving end of God's mercy. Remember our study from last week? And even the previous week? But they finished miserably. miserably. The priests, the priests. You and me, you and me. We started well, and praise be to the Lord. But we're still in our walk. You and me, let us finish well. You see? Let us finish well and endure in this journey through perilous times. Very important to understand. When we look at 1 Samuel chapter 5, you know, if you're in the mindset that says, well, this is Old Testament, this doesn't really apply to me. No, 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 get that out of your head. Get that out of your head because we're living in perilous times. The days are evil and it's only getting worse and it's going to continue getting worse. And so we begin our study in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Remember, Israel has just been defeated in war. And remember, there are promises for victory in war. Remember our study in Deuteronomy? So what happened? Did God change his mind? No, not at all. The people changed their heart. Because the promise of victory is for those who obey. And without obedience, there's no effectuation of promise. No effectuation of promise, and with no effectuation of promise, no victory. No victory. Remember, we're in the judges' era. The book of Samuel is in the judges' era, where the Lord had become forgotten. And in that state, in that state, in that condition, where the Lord becomes forgotten, how could the Lord be honored when he's not even known? You see? Then the people, the elders, the priests, and when it came time for war, what happened? They were treating the ark like a good luck charm. 
and they were defeated by the Philistines. You see? That's what happened. Remember our study in last week? In chapter 4? They were defeated. The time of war. And they were defeated. They lost. Let us begin our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. Then the Philistines. Then the Philistines here in verse 1. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon is their God that they worship, the God of the Philistines. Now, understand there are many gods. There are many gods, lowercase g, lowercase g. There are many gods, but there is only one almighty. There is only one almighty, and that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And God Almighty has his only begotten son. And we say it like that for a reason. Because part of the growing interfaith movement that we see happening these days, you know, and the ecumenical movement, and you see major denominations doing this. You see cardinals and popes across multiple generations, this ecumenical movement, the interfaith movement. What they're doing is they're bringing together the Abrahamic faiths. But they're deviating from a very specific lineage. They're attempting to bring together Abrahamic faiths. But the very specific lineage is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the Catholic Church. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that salvation can be achieved through Abraham. And that's one of, one of the, the reasons how they're moving forward with their interfaith and ecumenical initiatives. Bringing together, attempting to bring together the Abrahamic faiths based on doctrines that they have in Vatican II and even in their catechisms that salvation can be achieved through Abraham. But the Bible... The Holy Bible says that salvation is only in Jesus. Only. One way. Only in Jesus. If salvation is in Abraham, then Jesus died in vain. You see? Very important to understand. The Catholic Church has an appearance of righteousness. But when you understand the formula according to the Word of God, you can see and you know that it's blasphemous. You see? I mean, if you're Catholic, I love you, but repent and come out of her, my people. And I say this as a former Catholic myself, but the Lord rescued me. So let's say you and me, for example, let's say you and me were Philistines back in the day in the Old Testament times. You and me, we get in my time machine and we're Philistines during the reign of Pharaoh in Egypt. And let's say, for example, just for example, let's say that the God of Israel, he's unknown. And let's say, for example, that you and me as Philistines, we worship Dagon. And so, you know, we have Dagon, but we know that the gods of Egypt are more powerful because the Egyptians are powerful and their gods help them be powerful. And Pharaoh is considered to be one of their gods on earth. 
And as Philistines, in this example, we don't mess with Pharaoh. We don't mess with Pharaoh. We don't mess with Egypt. We have, you know, Dagon, but the gods of Egypt, we know, don't mess with them. They're more powerful. Well, yeah, we have Dagon, but the god of, 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 of the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh, they're more powerful. And in this example, the Hebrew people are in Egyptian captivity. And we know that they also have a God that they serve, but he's been silent for 400 years. Word of him hasn't been around for a very long time. A very, very long time. And let's say you and me, in this example, we're Philistines, we worship Dagon, and we know Egyptian, the Egyptians, they're way over there, and nobody messes with them, and they have the Hebrew people in captivity. The, the, the Hebrew people are, are enslaved in Egypt. And yeah, they, they, they have their God, and no one's heard of him in a long time. And let's say in this example, you and me are in the trades business. And we travel and sell goods to nearby towns. And one day in our travels, we come across another traveler crossing paths. And he tells us, hey, did you guys hear? Did you guys hear? The Hebrew God is bringing plagues upon Egypt. And there's this guy named Moses. And whoa, he's gutsy. He speaks to Pharaoh. He speaks to Pharaoh words of judgment. And he tells Pharaoh that, God bids him to let his people go. And you and me, we look at each other and we're blown away. We're shocked. What? We haven't heard about the Hebrew God in years and everything we've heard about him, it's only from what's been passed down through the generations. And we're blown away at the news. This traveler that we meet, he says, hey, did you guys hear? And he gives us a report and we're just like in total shock. Like, whoa, like... You know, Moses is going to die. The Hebrew people, they're going to die because nobody talks to Pharaoh like that. And so we continue to worship Dagon. We continue on our way. And then several weeks pass. And we're still in our travels. Remember, we're in the trades business. And we're still in our travels. And then we meet another tradesman along the way. And he says, hey, did you guys hear? And then he tells us, the Hebrew people are free. They follow this guy named Moses. And you and me were blown away. Because no one messes with Egypt. No one messes with Pharaoh. And this has happened. And so we continue on our way and we continue to worship Dagon. Remember, in this example, we're, we're uh, uh, Philistines. We're in the trades business. So we're traveling from town to town to town to town. And we hear these reports and we know we worship Dagon, but nobody messes with Egypt. Nobody messes with Pharaoh. And the gods of Egypt are powerful. And yeah, we have Dagon, but Dagon is nothing compared to the gods of Egypt. And so we hear this report like, what in the world is happening in Egypt? And we hear that the Hebrew people are free and we're like, oh my goodness, they are dead because nobody messes with Pharaoh. Nobody messes with Egypt. And then time passes. We continue on our way. Time passes. We continue to worship Dagon. And we're in a town doing our trades. And we meet another traveler. And he says, hey, did you guys hear what happened? 
and we're kind of like, oh, you know, oh my goodness, like what, you know, is is Moses dead? You know, are all the are all the Hebrew people are they dead because you know the Egyptians they killed them? And he says, did you guys hear? And we say, no, no, what happened? And he says, Egypt has been destroyed. Egypt has been destroyed. The sea opened up. The Hebrew God commanded the ocean to open. The waters to open. And the Hebrew people, they walked safely through. And then their God, they closed, he, he, he closed the waters. You know, the, the God of the Hebrew people, he closed the waters on the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army was chasing them. And then, you know, when the Hebrew people crossed through, all of a sudden, boom, the waters closed and God destroyed Egypt. The might of Egypt, the Egyptian army, no more. The chariots, the swordsmen, the spears, the whole nine yards, they're all dead. And now, we're not just shocked. We're straight up scared now. We're scared. Because we have Dagon that we worship. And we knew that the Egyptian gods were more powerful than Dagon. And now we know that Egypt is defeated by the Hebrew god. And we heard of his might from ancient times. And now we hear of his might in real time as he makes himself known. And not just his might, we know that he is almighty as he makes himself known. And he's made himself known to us by word that has been spread. And all of a sudden something happens. Dagon, the God that we worship, all of a sudden Dagon loses appeal. He loses appeal. And you and me, we make the decision, you know what? I don't want to worship Dagon anymore. I look at you, you look at me, and you tell me, I don't want to worship Dagon anymore either. And so we no longer worship Dagon. And then you and me, we, we talk and we talk and we talk and we get this idea. Hey, should we worship the Hebrew God? And then you tell me, you know what? He's almighty. Because yeah, we had Dagon. But Dagon was nothing like the gods of Egypt. And the God of the Hebrew people, he destroyed them. Their gods are nothing to the God of Israel. And then you tell me, you know what? The God of the Hebrew people, he's not just mighty. No, he's almighty. There's none higher than him. You see? And so I say, to, you know, I ask you the question, hey, should, should we go worship him? And then you look at me and you say, how can we not worship him? You see, Dagon loses his appeal. And so we no longer worship Dagon. And in our journeys, we're, trades, we're in the trades business. And so we continue in our journey, except our journey has changed. Our journey is to find the camp of Israel. And in the course of time, we arrive near the camp and we're met by Hebrew guards. And we tell them, hey, we used to worship because we're not Hebrew people. You know, we're, we're Philistines. And, you know, we, we used to worship Dagon, but no more. Dagon is nothing. 
And we used to worship Dagon, but and we tell these to the, to the Hebrew guards, we tell them, listen, you know, we're, we're not Jewish. We're not Hebrew people. We're Philistines. And we have Dagon, but no, we let go of Dag Dagon's no more. When we tell the Hebrew guards, we say, we've heard of your God. And look, we don't have, we don't have swords. We don't have spears. We don't have, we didn't come to fight. And we tell the guards, we've come to worship your God. Remember, by statute of the Lord, by statute of the Lord, the Hebrew people, they have to welcome us in. Because we haven't come to fight. We've come to worship. You see? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what happens? With you and me, you know, we're Philistines and we used to have, we used to have Dagon. But we abandon everything of the old life, everything of the Philistines, everything of Dagon. And now we're grafted into the camp of Israel. You see? And we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You see? We worship the Almighty. And you see that happen in the Old Testament. You see that with Jethro, priest of Midian. You see? We see that with uh, a Rahab. And in the Old Testament, you see people who are Gentile and they leave everything of the old life and are grafted into the camp of Israel. Remember Ruth, beautiful, beautiful Ruth, Gentile, you see? And it's so beautiful when we understand, you know, these are things that are written in the law where, yes, there's Gentiles who are in opposition to Israel, but among the Gentiles, there are people who believe and want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, acknowledging him as almighty. And that's what we just presented to you in this example where you and me were Philistines. And we deny everything of the Philistine people. We deny Dagon and we say, hey, we're done with that old life. And we talk to the guardsmen, the Hebrew guards, and we say, no, we didn't come with our swords. We didn't come with our spears. We didn't come to fight. We came to worship your God because he's almighty. We're done with the old life. We want your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see? But what happens when the Lord has become forgotten? As we see in the Judges era, as we see in the Ruth era, as we see in the First Samuel era. You see? What happens when the Lord has become forgotten? Or it could be said, forgotten yet again. And so we fast forward into the future. If, you know, from, from, from the example of you and me, you know, we, 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 we meet Moses, you know, in this example where we're Philistines and we do away with Dagon and the Philistine, you know, the ways of the Philistines. We actually, we've heard of Moses, but we actually meet him. But now we fast forward into the future. We get back in the time machine. We fast forward in the, in the future. And when the Lord has become forgotten in the judges era, what happens? The Hebrew people are oppressed once again. 
defeated in battle, just like we see in 1 Samuel chapter 4, defeated in battle. Why? Because the Lord has become forgotten. Where is obedience to the Lord? You see? But remember last week in our study in chapter 4, the Philistine army, the Philistine fighters, the Philistine warriors, the bruisers, remember last week in, our, in chapter 4, the bruisers, they were afraid of the ark of God. They were afraid of the ark of God, but they, they, what happened is that they rallied themselves together and they fought. And they were victorious against Israel. And so the Philistines, what did they do? They take the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon next to Dagon. And in verse 3, let's look what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. You see? I mean, picture the people. Picture the Philistine people. They wake up. They're in Ashdod. They wake up. They go to their, uh, you, know, they, they, you, know, you know, very interesting because all these days, what happens? You know, they see Dagon upright. Except now, the ark of the God of the Hebrew people is there. They wake up in the morning, they go to temple, and they see Dagon is fallen. Dagon is fallen. Dagon is fallen. And in verse 3, we see what happens. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Figuring, well, maybe it's just a coincidence. They put Dagon upright again. I mean, as a little side note, some god. Some God that is Dagon, a God that needs help of mankind. I mean, to me, that's not a God at all. I mean, if they want to call it God, you know, they make their choice, but that's pretty weak. That's pretty weak because Dagon needs the help of mankind, you know, to take Dagon and put him upright. Some God to need the help of man, of creation. And in verse four, and when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hand were of his hands of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. You see, now they're like, whoa, okay, now we know it's not a coincidence. Something's happening. Something's happening. And in verse 5, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy. Translates in the Hebrew as, as the hand of the Lord was severe. The hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. In the Hebrew, it's he stunned them. He stunned them, he devastated them, and he struck them and punished them with growths and swellings and tumors. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. And in verse 7, And when the men of Ashtot saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon our God. Now, you know what would have been better? 
What would have been better is if they said, you know, Dagon, he's not like the God of Israel. The God of Israel is almighty. Let's jump ship. Let's no longer worship Dagon and let us worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That would have been much better for them. Just like the example we gave earlier with you and me, we're Philistines and we have Dagon. But in the course of time, we see our God as weak, acknowledging that, you know, our God is not as strong as the God of Egypt. And then we realize it's not just that our God is weak. It's not just that the gods of Egypt are more powerful. It's that the God of the Hebrew people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not just mighty. There's none higher. He is almighty. And we deny everything of the Philistine way. We deny Dagon and we deny everything. And we come to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. We come to worship him. That would have been much better if the Philistine people said that in verse 7. It would have been much better. Hey, we're done with Dagon and we want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would have been much better, but just like today, as the Bible says, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. Now notice, it's not just that everyone hates the light. Some do. But some don't mind the light at all. Some actually like the light. The problem is that they love darkness more than the light. You see, a person might say, oh, you know what? I like Jesus. A person might say, you know what? I like Jesus, but you know what? In fact, I love Jesus. But I also love my drugs. I also love my crack. I also love my whiskey. I also love my sex and my Ouija board and my Buddha and, you know, a whole lot more. So, yeah, you know what? I like Jesus. You know what? I love Jesus. But, man, I love my meth. I love my whiskey, the Ouija board, the yoga. I, You know, I love it all. Very important to understand what the text says. That light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. The Bible doesn't say, you know, that everybody hates the light. You know, the people who are in darkness, that they hate the light. No. The Bible says that they love the darkness more than the light. And you see that today when people, yeah, you know what? I I don't mind your Jesus. I like him too. But man, you know, my meth. I love my meth. I love my whiskey. I love my sex, I love my pornography, I love my prostitutes, I love my casinos. What are those things that separate a person from the Lord? What are those things that separate a person from Jesus Christ, the Word of God, which became flesh? You know what those things are called? Idols. Idols. And what does... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, what does he say? You shall have no gods before me. You see? We see this today. 
And we see it here in 1 Samuel chapter 5. We see it here among the Philistines. Nothing new under the sun. And both then and now, people have a choice to make. People have a choice to make. I mean, if you're listening and you're not a believer, you have a choice to make. And if you are willing, you can become a child of the Most High. You can become a child of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. A child of the Most High God. Right here, right now, that can happen if you are willing, if you believe. And if that is you, hit pause right here, right now. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ, you come back and you listen, and we continue in our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 5. But if that's you, do it right now. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And you come back and we continue our study. And so the Philistines... They straight up said, hey, we got to get the ark of God out of here. And in verse 8, look what happens. Therefore, they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. So what do they do? They, they call for a change of venue. You know, let's take it from Ashtot and let's take it to Gath. And in verse 9, so it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. Now, notice there are no Hebrew people around. There's no Jews here, no warriors of Israel. And yet the Lord is making things happen. You see, Dagon, he needs the help of man. The God of Israel, nope. You see, the Philistines are being defeated. Which begs the question, why, why is it? Why didn't the Lord defeat the Philistines in the battle that we saw in chapter 4. Because if, if there's no Hebrew people here, and yet God is doing something, and you know things are happening to the Philistine people, and you know God is you know with a very great destruction, He's He's striking the men of the city. I mean, it happened in Ashdod, and here it is, it's 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 happening in Gath, and it begs the question: like, why didn't he do that in battle? In chapter 4, why didn't he do that during the war? Because Israel had the ark of God with them. And they were defeated. And I'll give you the answer. Wrong formula. Wrong formula. They were treating the ark like a good luck charm. And yet, where was obedience found? You say, well, this is Old Testament. We're a people of the new covenant. Well, Christians do it too. Christians do it too. Remember our study from last week when, you know, Christians, oh, you know what? I, you know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to wear this cross around my neck. I'm going to wear this cross around my neck and I'm going to go see the strippers. 
I'm going to wear this cross around my neck and I'm going to go to the casino. I'm going to wear this cross around my neck. I'm going to do my meth. I'm going to wear this cross around my neck. I'm going to do my Ouija boards. I'm going to go worship Buddha. You see, it's happening. Christians do it too. Treating things that are holy like a good luck charm. But where is obedience? I mean, don't forget, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, Israel was promised victory as a blessing from God. But remember the parameters from Deuteronomy 28. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 28? As a long one, long study. Blessings, yes, absolutely. Deuteronomy 28, blessings. Praise be to the Lord. But the blessings are for obedience. You see? I mean, if you and me, you know, say, for example, we're, you know, we're in, in first grade as kids. Say, for example, we're kids and we're in first grade. And the teacher tells us, you know, at the beginning of the school year, the teacher is there at the front of the class and says, hey, guys, you know, welcome, you know, first day of school or, you know, whatever they say. And the teacher goes on to say, and he says, he or she, you know, if you do well, the teacher says, if you do well, I promise that you'll enter second grade. And so you and me, we're in first grade. It's the first day of the year. And you and me are excited because we're not just looking forward to doing first grade stuff. We're looking forward to second grade and third grade and fourth grade. But then something happens during the year. As for you, you're doing everything that's needed as a student. You're getting the A's and the B's and a couple C's. But, you know, for the most part, you're getting A's and B's and maybe, you know, a C here, a C there. But me, on the other hand, say I'm not doing anything. Say I'm not doing anything. I come to class and I go to sleep. I'm not doing the homework. I'm getting straight F's. Just straight up F's across the board. And then at the end of the school year, you move on to second grade. But I'm held back at first. You move on to second grade but I stay in first grade. Now, let me ask a question. Am I able then to complain to the teacher? Can I go to the teacher and complain and say, hey, teacher, you're holding me back. I can't go on to second grade, but you promised me second grade. And yes, there was a promise, but there were also parameters. If you do well. The teacher said at the beginning of the year, if you do well, I promise you'll go to second grade. I can't complain to the teacher because as for you, say you have a B plus average. You know, you have A's, you have B's, but you had, you know, a little bit more C's. And so you have a B average. And as for you, you advance. But as for me, I have a straight up F minus average. I don't advance. You see, can I then complain to the teacher? The answer is no. And with the Lord, he absolutely has promises for us, promises for you, promises for me. But there are parameters. There are parameters such as faith and obedience, belief and obedience. 
It's something that Brother James, inspired of the Spirit, he tells us the two are inseparable, faith and works. The two are inseparable. And if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study in the book of James. Very important for all of us to understand. Because a lot of Christians today, they have a misunderstanding of faith and works. But the remnant, they don't have the misunderstanding. They have the understanding. And so if you're listening for the first time or you have, been, you have not been walking with us for a while, go and listen to the study through the book of James. All the archives are there. And so we look at the Philistines here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, and we see yet another change of venue. Look at verse 10 here. In verse 10, therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. You see? So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Whoa. Look what happens here in verse 11. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. A deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Notice. There's something happening. There's an, an intensifying judgment for those who reject the Lord. The judgment is getting more intense because now in, we see here in verse 11, we see that the destruction, it's deadly destruction. And this is something that will happen again in the last days as the Lord makes himself known. Because remember Egypt? Remember Egypt where the waters turned blood red? Absolutely, the waters turned blood red. But Egypt was spared. The frogs came. And Egypt was still spared. The hail came. And Egypt was still spared. You see? But things intensified. Things got worse, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, it's very true that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, but that's judgment. That's judgment. Don't forget the many times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and with each plague, he hardened his heart. He made his choice. And then God stepped in. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, it's judgment. Judgment. You say, okay, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. That's not for us today. It's Old Testament. We are a people of the New Covenant. That's the Old Testament. Hold the phone there. Hold the phone. With no love of the truth. With no love of the truth. People like to believe in another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. The exact same thing that happened to the Galatian saints. The Galatian saints were getting sucked into that. 
They were getting sucked into another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. And that deception, that deception in Galatia was so strong and so powerful that it almost got Peter. You see? That's why Paul, that was his phobia. Not for himself. It was for the saints. It was for the saints. He says, you guys, the people, the, the preacher guys, the, the guys who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, they're going to come in. They're going to come in with another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus. And he says to the Corinthian saints, you're going to put up with it. But what happened to them already in Corinth? They put up, they had already put up with it. And then there was the separation for the remnant. And that's when Paul makes his phobia known yet again. You're, you're going to put up with it. What happened in Galatia? They put up with it. Paul was blown away. Remember, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from the Lord. From him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to another gospel. You see? And that's what's going to happen in the last days. As people believe in another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. Not the biblical Jesus. Fake Christ. One of the signs of the last days when the disciples asked Jesus, what are the signs of your coming? And he tells them, there's going to be many Christs. And when people believe in another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus, that's what happens when there is no love of the truth. No love of the truth. And God, what he does He's the one who sends a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see? That they should believe the lie. It's not that, you know, like, oh, you know, you know, he'll believe the truth, you know, next week. Oh, she'll believe the truth next week. No. It's judgment. Strong delusion is God's judgment. That they should believe the lie. They cannot believe the truth. The truth becomes veiled. And that's what happens when people reject the Lord repeatedly over and over and over and over and over and over. Exactly like Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, 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 and then all of a sudden the Lord steps in, okay? Remember the jello? We want hearts to be like jello. We want your heart, my heart, our heart, everybody's heart. We want it to be like jello. Softer than the softest jello. You know what that is? That's circumcision. Biblical circumcision. You see, circumcision of heart. But what happens when a person rejects the Lord? A heart is no longer jello. It becomes hard. It becomes like balsa. Balsa wood, which is a soft wood, but it's not jello. 
And then it goes from balsa to maple. And then from maple to oak. And then from oak to pine. And then from pine, a stone. You see? And that's judgment. A heart of stone. That's God's judgment. We see it happen with Pharaoh. And people like to think, okay, that's Old Testament. That's what God did to Pharaoh. No, 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 no. Remember, the things of old were written for us, written for our warning. And what is the warning for us? To love the truth. To have a deep, profound love of truth, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. You know why? Because if there's no love of the truth, strong delusion comes in that those who do such things and and not loving truth that they will believe the lie. You see, the truth is withheld. And it's judgment from God because God sends the strong delusion. So you look at culture today, and just so you know, I teach from America. And America, all towns across the country, states, even regions, they're getting crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. You know what that is? Strong delusion. It's getting worse and worse, and worse, and worse. And you might be listening from somewhere in Europe and Africa, the Asian countries, Middle Eastern countries. You might be listening in South America, you know, in in, uh, Australia. You might be listening from wherever, and you're like, you know what? My towns are getting crazy too. People are losing their minds. Everywhere I look, you know, everybody's delusional. I go to the the grocery store and, you know, the people used to be nice, but now they're crazy. I go to the library, you know, and the people are crazy. My neighbors, they're crazy. It's like, wow, everybody's turning into crazy town. You know what that is? Strong delusion. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. One of many signs of the last days, a precursory sign to a coming judgment. As the Lord makes himself known once again you see that people should believe the lie and that's what happens when people reject the lord repeatedly and someone says but i believe in jesus i believe in jesus i go grave soaking with my church yeah my church group you know we get together and yeah we go grave soaking it's led by the pastor you know what that is you know what that is It's another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. Christians who go grave soaking. You know what grave soaking is? Grave soaking is a satanic concept. It's from the devil. It's evil. It's satanic. It's wicked. But they go to the grave sites. They go to the cemetery. They go to the cemetery and they say, oh, this was a good Christian guy. This was a good Christian lady. And they say, okay, everybody Take turns, and we're going to lay on this gravesite. We're going to lay down here, and the reason why they do it is to soak up the Holy Spirit. That's evil. That's satanic. That's necromancy. That's an abomination before the Lord. And yet you have pastors teaching Christians to do that. 
And so you have Christians, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and you know, we get our youth group together, we get our men's group, we get our women's group, we get our, you know, the, the youth ministry, All and yeah, we go to the cemetery, everybody loads up in the bus, we go to the cemetery, and we park the bus, we have a nice little lunch, and we lay down on the gravesite, and we pray to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come out of the, out of the, the dead person, and soak into us. That's wickedness. That's evil. That's satanic. That's demonic. You see? And you have people who say, I believe in Jesus. So what if I go grave soaking? You're so mean. You're so mean. I'm going to stay with my pastor. I'm going to stay with my mega church. And we're going to keep on grave soaking because we have good music and we call it we call it Bethel. We have good worship music and we call it Bethel. You see? And it's sad. It's sad. If a person wants to believe a lie, what happens? They move closer and closer and closer and closer to a heart of stone. That's not good. The hardening of the heart, it happens with the rejection of truth. And then it reaches the point of God's judgment that a person believes the lie when truth becomes officially withheld. Truth becomes officially veiled. It's by God. God veils the truth from people who have no love of the truth. You see? And yet a person says, oh, I'm going to stay with my megachurch. I got a really nice pastor. I got my Bethel worship music. And we're going to keep on grave soaking so that we can soak up the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. The person makes their choice. And God is reactionary. You see? And when the heart reaches stone, the person has to believe the lie. The person has to believe the lie because truth is veiled. Remember, you say, like, you know, that, how do you put it like that? Why do you put it like that? You know, that makes God so mean. You know that if God is going to withhold truth, that makes God mean. But notice, it's self-inflicted. God is responding. God is reactionary. It's self-inflicted. Why? Because there was no love of the truth. It's exactly like Pharaoh. And just like we start our study, you know, you say, like, well, we're supposed to be in 1 Samuel 5, and all of a sudden you want to go to Galatians? Because what happens is that a lot of Christians don't like to look at the Old Testament and understand, just as Paul says, that the things were written in the Old for us, for you and me, so that we can understand. You look at Eli, you look at uh, 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 Hophni and Phinehas. They were on the receiving end of God's mercy. They were on the receiving end of God's promises. What happened? You see, 
They started well, but they finished terribly. They finished miserably, and now they're dead. But then you look at beautiful Hannah. You look at beautiful Samuel. And what do you see? Effectuation of God's promises. You see? Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And this is a very sobering reality. It's very sobering. Very sobering. Remember, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And so sometimes, you know, Christians, I shouldn't even say sometimes, but a lot of times, Christians get very mad at me. Oh, we're supposed to love. We're Christians. We're supposed to love and be happy and full of joy. And to that I say, amen. Amen. But under the right formula. Under the right formula. I mean, is it not loving for me to tell you of these things? Because I'm in the camp that says it's cruel and mean to not tell you of these things. Because once we, you and me, once we know what the Word of God says, you and me can respond to the truth of God's Holy Word. We can repent, you see? We can repent, we can be clean, and we can have real joy. Real joy. You know why? Because it's from the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord by the Lord and from the Lord. You know what it is? It's His blessings from on high. But when Ichabod sets in, remember our study from last week? When Ichabod sets in, no glory of the Lord, you know what happens? People fake it. People fake it. Fake joy, fake happiness. Fake joy, fake happiness, and they attempt to receive the Spirit of God at the cemetery. Why? Ichabod. Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has left. You see? And you can see it. You can see it. You know, Sunday at church... Sunday at church, everybody has a smile on their face. They laugh. They speak with their niceties. But then Sunday night comes, and they're drinking their sorrows away. You see? Monday morning comes. They got their hot yoga class. Nice sun salutation. Worship the sun. Oh, yeah, it's really nice, you know. Go and worship the sun, you know. Nice little sun salutation. Worship creation instead of the creator. Oh, no big deal. See, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Another abomination before the Lord. Monday night comes. Oh, yeah, drink my sorrows away. You see? No big deal. Tuesday comes. And no bottle. You know, instead, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get baked tonight. Some marijuana over here. You see, that's gonna heal my depression. Wednesday comes, oh, you know what, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, got the, I wear the cross, I got the cross on my wall, at my, at my house, you know, I got the nice little cross on my wall, I want this, this cross, the chain across my neck, you know, and Wednesday comes, I'm going to go, I'm going to get together with my church group, and we're going to have Bible study at the bar during happy hour, and then afterwards, we're going to go to the cemetery, we're going to lay on graves and soak up the Holy Spirit, you see? 
Oh, yeah, I got this nice little cross that I wear around my neck. You see what's happening? God is treated like a good luck charm. But yet, where is obedience to his word? See? In the Old Testament. Oh, but we're God's people. We're God's people. Understand, God's people have God's formula. In the New Testament, we're God's people. We're God's people. Again, God's people have God's formula. And still today, oh, we're God's people. We're God's people. Yet again, God's people have God's formula. Very important to understand. You see? Very important to understand the formula. I mean, we all live life. There's no denying that. We all have lives and praise be to the Lord. But we can't fake joy. Joy is a byproduct. Biblical joy. It's a byproduct of being right before the Lord. Of being clean before the Lord. Because that's a joy that is from the Lord. Remember what Brother James says? He says it to Christians. He's like, no, you need to lament. It's not a time for joy. You need to lament. Why? Because there's sin in the camp. Let's get you cleaned up. Because once you're cleaned up, now you can have joy. Real joy. Because it's a joy that is from the Lord. It is a joy that is holy. It's not a preacher guy at the pulpit telling jokes so that a person could laugh. That's worldly joy. That's a carnal joy that's gone after five seconds. But the joy of the Lord, that remains because it's holy. You see? And you can't fake joy. Even though people fake joy all the time. I mean, Sunday at church, everybody's got the smile on the face. Sunday at church, everybody has the smile on the face. You know, a bunch of happy people, it would seem. But then when you look closer, I mean, if you're in ministry, you know, Sunday, everybody wears their smile. But if you're in ministry, something happens, you see, because you talk with people. And very often in talking with people on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on the non-church days, when people open up and they talk to you about problems, problems that they face and things that are happening in their lives, oftentimes, very often, too often, there's nothing to smile about at all. You see? Because there's very, very serious problems. We all live this life that we presently live. We have our workplaces. We have our families. We have all kinds of different things in our lives. But what about living life victoriously in Christ? What about living life in the joy of the Lord? What about living life in the peace of the Lord? You see? Because the Sunday smiley face, that's only surface. 
What about the smiley heart? What about the heart that rejoices and dances in the Lord? I mean, keep in mind, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5, Israel was just at war and they lost. They suffered many casualties, many casualties. And that happens for a reason. It happens for a reason. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while in our studies in the Old Testament, when you look at the times Israel is close with God and the times Israel is far from God, which has the majority? It's more often that they're far from God. You see, except for a remnant. Except for a remnant. And when you look at the seven churches in Revelation, the majority are apart from God in Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea. The majority are apart from God, except for a remnant, Smyrna and Philadelphia. You see, very important for us to understand. So in 1 Samuel chapter 5, look what happens here. Among the Philistines, those who do not yield to the Lord, there's death and destruction, and it's intensifying. And in verse 12, and the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. You know what would have been better? If the Philistines, just like the example that we gave earlier when you and me were former Philistines, what would have been better is if the Philistines denied their ways, denied their gods, and if they worshiped the Most High, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that would have been better. But God doesn't make robots. Every single person has a choice to make for themselves. For themselves. Now, we've reached the end of our study, but I want to say something to the person that desires to choose the God of Israel. And, you know, sometimes a lot of Christians, they get mad. You know, don't use fear tactics. Don't scare people to God. Listen, worked wonders for me. It worked wonders for me. When you consider heaven on one side and hell on the other side, let's be real. Let's be, let's be straight up. One side is scary. I mean, on one side, there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, you know, hellfire, damnation, eternal separation from God. I don't know about you, but for me, that's scary. On the other side, the Bible calls it paradise. And there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to God. It's through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. And if you're the person that desires to choose the God of Israel and you haven't yet done so, or if you know, you're realizing like, oh my goodness, you know, like, you know, I, you know, I also go grave soaking. And if you're realizing like, oh my goodness, I'm in submission to the wrong pastor. And, you know, I was under a different gospel, a different spirit and a different Christ. That's what's called being lukewarm. 
And the Bible says, don't be lukewarm. And so if you're listening and you're the person that desires to choose the God of Israel, or if you're lukewarm and you're realizing like, oh my goodness, you know what? I can't go grave soaking. For you also. We're at the end of our study. But there's something else I want you to listen to. Listen to the message. It's how to commit your life to Christ. And do it. Commit your life to Jesus. Son of the Most High God. He is the ark of our time. You see? To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.